the Gundog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by OnX Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the OnX Hunt app from your phone's app store today and check out onyxmaps.com for more inside Onyx. Also, the Gun Dog Notebook is brought to you by Yukonuba Sporting Dogs. Sporting Dogs give us everything they got and then some. Their nutrition should do the same. Learn more about Yukonuba Sporting Dog and the premium performance blend at yukonubasportingdog.com. I also want to bring to you Garmin. Build a better dog with devices for tracking and training, from obedience to hunting and limiting nuisance barking. Get exactly what you need to make a life with your hunting buddy that much better. The Gun Dog Notebook is also brought to you by Dakota 283 Kennels. Check out the new Tano compatible kennel. Dakota T1 Kennel has a lower profile than our standard kennels and is designed to easily fit in the back of a pickup under a Tano cover. Check them out now. Also presented to you by Lion Country Supply, the Gun Dog World's premium gun dog supplier. Check them out now. So with Onyx, I definitely want to go ahead and start with those guys and say how extremely beneficial that uh, the Onyx Hunt app uh, was for me. Not just because of, of having the locations and things like that, but actually what I was able to do, and it's a little feature that I like, um, is to take photos of certain areas. So when I'm in certain bird cover, after a while the woods start to look the same if you're, you know, if you're kind of prancing around and things like that. And I actually got lost in the woods uh, during the first hunt. <laughs> I got lost and I was able to check my Onyx map, um, you know, and pull up one of the, the waypoints that I had saved and, and kind of look in that, because I thought I was in a familiar area. And uh, I was able to use that photo that I had taken and saved to the waypoint. Um, you can do a sporting dog. Guys, I'm sure you guys have seen everything in the world about you can do a sporting dog. Uh, Vegas actually ran seven hours, man. <laughs> I'm not lying. Vegas ran seven whole hours. Um, and obviously not full speed, full steam. So we put in about 12 miles that day and Vegas... He, he hauled tail the whole way through. But, um, you know, that's that that's one of the benefits of you can do a sport dog and all kinds of stuff like that. Okay, we are on another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook Live. Um, like I said a little bit earlier, I uh, want to say thank you guys, everybody that is uh, that's tuning into the Instagram feed right now. Um, this episode is going to be called Doubt and Redemption. <laughs> um, it's it's going to be a little bit more about Vegas's first and second uh, wild quail hunt here in Georgia, and. Um, is uh, I didn't get a chance to go over it last week um, while I was at doing the lay of the land lecture. So I kind of wanted to go back through it this time and, and really give some thoughts and insights and, and things like that. Um, I'm taking it right out of my notebook. 
So y'all will get the honest feedback and things like that. There was a question a little bit earlier. Kevin Padilla 308. Do I do we have mountain quail over here? No, we do not have mountain quail. The only quail that we have are bobwhite quails. And that is my jam. That is what I like to hunt and things like that. And actually, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. These are kind of some more of my notes that I wanted to elaborate. So with Doubt and Redemption, this particular episode, and I'm breaking down the first and second hunt that Vegas had. Um, as you guys have probably already heard me talk about, I am 110% an advocate of uh, hunting wild birds. That is, to me, the only way to do it. Um, during the season, I don't, I don't do preserves. I don't buy birds. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, Georgia, we're fortunate enough to have 365 days a year of being able to uh, purchase birds as long as you got a receipt. You can use them to train at any of the WMAs um, that have dog training areas. So by the time, you know, with that logic being in, in, in place, by the time the season comes around, and I'm sure y'all already know, ours starts way later. While everybody's posting their sage grouse photos and stuff like that, our season starts in November. Um, I think it's November 16th, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, November 16th. Um, our starts early, so you got to put the work in and it rides itself out till February. Um, and you're not, you're not really going to have the type of bird dog that I'm, that I believe in without running them on wild birds. Now that is my, I don't know if you call it bias, but that is my thoughts about, you know, hunting here in Georgia. And it's so funny, man, like, People kind of look at me weird, but especially in certain areas, people kind of look at me weird. It's like, you know, you found all of this stuff and your dogs did so well. Those birds were in Georgia or that was public land. Yes. And I'm telling you, the place that I hunt, it's not too far from some of the biggest and best plantations here in Georgia. And... I don't have the money to pay for them things. I think them things cost about seven, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand dollars a day to get in and hunt. I don't have that that amount of money to spend, although I plan to one day. I don't think I would ever, you know, hunt anywhere that's not public land if it's just me and my dogs. So Last weekend was the first weekend of the Georgia Bob White Quail opener. And where I hunt at, I was honestly fully expecting, I guess, a, a, a lot. I was expecting a lot more failure on my own, on, on everybody's end. And it's not that I, that I expected my dogs to not do well, but Georgia quail hunting is pretty tough, man. It, it really is when it comes to getting out there and anybody that knows that lives in Georgia, you probably hear a lot of the times people saying, oh, well, you know, the only thing that I hear about is, is you know, preserve hunting and things like that. Um, but after 12 miles, <laughs> I guarantee you, you better find something. Um, so, you know, Whatever is not done before the hunting season picks up, it's not going to be done. You got, 
you guys probably have seen me, uh, you guys have probably seen me doing a lot of barrel work, a lot of this, a lot of that. And I mean, it probably gets repetitive on my, my, you know, photo feed and things like that. But to me, that's just indicative of all the work and patience it takes to get a dog to do what you want him to do, especially Vegas. Like we had from January until November 16th to get a dog at least prepared to be able to run on wild birds. Um, and that whole process, what that looked like was a lot of barrel work, um, you know, a lot of foundational work, pigeon polling and things like that, things that I've already talked about um, in previous episodes and in photos and things like that. But the main thing that I wanted out of Vegas is a thinking dog, a dog that, and, and what I mean by that is a dog that'll think for himself in the woods. Um, I don't do a whole lot of talking. I learned that with Ruger, my first dog. I don't do a whole lot of talking in the woods to either of them. Um, I fully and fundamentally believe in body language. You know, if you got to do a whole bunch of hollering and yipping and that and all kinds of stuff like that, not only are you disruptive to a hunt, but I just, I just got to believe that a dog is going to tune you out after a while. So, my hunts are fairly, you know, quiet. I'll call them when I need to. Um, and there's a difference between calling and singing. You know, calling a dog is getting him to come all the way back in. Um, we're either going back to the truck or we're doing so. I'm stopping him for whatever odd reason, interrupting his hunt. Uh, singing, I sing to a dog, you know, not quite a bit, but a good bit. Whereas I'll sit and go, hey, yo, and Vegas will turn and he'll, he knows to look at me and we'll swing to the left or swing to the right. Um, and I want big casts too. You know, I don't really want a dog to come back into me when he's, you know, 150, 200 some yards out, maybe even 300 yards out. I need him to be able to check where I'm at and check the direction that he's going. And he did that very, very, very well. Um, you know, a lot of that singing, you know, comes from me getting him ready for running on horseback. You know, and the, and the, and the thing is, and I guess this topic came up a little bit earlier, but the idea of a big running dog or a dog that runs over a hundred something yards and things like that. In my opinion, oh, again, sweatshirt from Project Upland. But in my opinion, if you got a point dog that's hunting anywhere within 50 yards, mm, I kind of don't got no use for you. <laughs> like, I just, I just don't. I mean, any anywhere within that range I can use my lab for but with Vegas the way that we operated from from jump you know is once we get to the training field I tap that joker on his rib cage and you know one one tap two tap and send that joker on he's a 10 month old dog First thing I want him to do is get out. I want him to get out like Usain Bolt. And and 
it's it's not only just for speed. I want them to burn some of that energy off in the on the front end, but also I want that dog to start figuring his range out and start figuring out the cover. You know, last time I spoke on the podcast, Vegas went way too big in the grouse woods. Well, now we back on home turf. Now I want you to get out to three, 350 yards. Get out as far as you need to. I trust that based on all the work that we've been doing up to this point, I trust that my dog is going to get out. He's going to find birds. And one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to bust him or he's going to hold him. Now, this is where we get to breeding for intelligence. If I'm all right with my dog, especially at 10 months old, busting birds. But we were also supposed to do a lot of that, you know, during yard work, during field work and things like that. Vegas took off like a bat out of hell on that first on, on uh, that first approach to the field. And he was going and he was moving strong. I mean, that dog was moving strong. Well, what happened? We got to a certain area of the WMA. And I can tell he hit scent. I can definitely tell he hit scent. But like a train wreck, he didn't stop. <laughs> like a train wreck, that dog did not stop. And what did he do? He busted a bird. He busted a covey of about 12 to 15 birds. Perfect. That is what I'm not only expecting out of a young dog, but... Now I get a chance to see exactly what it is that this dog is going to make of himself, not then in that moment, but the moments after. What that did was set some fire up under that dog. And I saw that dog, he 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 might as well have bowed up and put a pout face on, man. Like that dog was frustrated. He ran into a, a covey of quail on home turf. He knew what we were doing. And he, and, he, and he let the birds go. But what he did was gained his composure. The dog didn't lose his composure. The dog stayed attentive to me. Um, and we hunted the area a little bit more because the thing is, this is where it comes, you know, down to me as a, as a quail hunter, bobwhite quail hunter. They always going to leave one in the hole. And so, although he flushed a cubby, it was highly likely, and I'm I'm still not even sure if the birds weren't there, but it was highly likely that there was still one bird in the hole. It could have run. It could have done a lot of things. It could have been the bird that swung off to the left while the rest of the cubby went to the right. We don't know. So, um, Miss Mel, I got your question in a second. I'm going to get through this part. But that dog ended up, Flying through that covey, it ended up busting and lit a fire up under him. From that point, I gave him about five to 10 minutes to search the rest of the area within, say, maybe 20, 30 yard radius. And if you don't find nothing, Chief, we need to be moving on because I don't want to get hung up on a mistake. That's the thing. So I'm going to take a break right there and we're going to proceed. But uh, FPPS Gun Dogs. When does the dog know to stop? How does he know when he has enough scent to stop? Well, that's a good question. 
A dog should know to stop. They That's between them and the birds. Them birds are going to tell that dog to stop. But when that dog has had enough of messing up, basically, when that dog has had enough messing up um, and not being successful, that's when he learns how to stop. That, again, is where we have intelligence coming in. A dumb dog is going to keep running. A dumb dog ain't got no 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 end result. And that is why folks are so hard up on breeding for intelligence. Because after a while, and, and even I even noticed it when I was doing the pigeon pole work in the yard. My dog, after a while, he would chase the pigeon, chase the pigeon. And every, you know, wing on a string and pigeon pole is the same thing. That dog, after a while, is going to stop chasing. He'll run out of gas. And then he should start locking up. So a dog is going to learn to stop when he gets tired of being unsuccessful. There's no point during a hunt that I'm going to tell a dog to stop. I mean, he has his e-collar on and stuff like that. There's no point where I'm going to hit that nick button and things like that. No, I do not tell. I don't talk to that dog. You keep busting cubbies until you get tired of it. Because at the end of the day, the reward is going to come from two ways. All right, and I'll talk about this later, but the reward is either the high of being on point if you are like me and you don't let your dog retrieve or the reward is the bird in, 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 in the dog's mouth. Once a dog, and it's incremental, the dog may stop, he may flash point, and it's too much temptation. It depends on the dog. It's too much temptation and he may mess around and go... Um, and and gradually bump birds less and less. It it just depends on the type of training that you did. That's why I used um a certain recall the 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 bucket bird that's described in Delmar Smith's book because that's a it's a small recall pen and and basically we ping pong birds in the woods behind my house during training. And sometimes a young dog is so excited and pent up, you know, they don't, they know to stop, but it takes a second for them to get it. Well, if you've ever been down here in the South and you've ever, you know, gotten into a covey of wild birds, it will make you poop your pants, man. Like it will, it seriously will make you, it's a defense mechanism. So imagine what that's doing to a dog with a nose full of scent, you know, running 100 miles an hour and goes up in a huge cubby bust in front of his face. If that dog don't stop because it's shocked in the world, that dog is going to stop because there were so many more opportunities that flushed right up in his face that he wasn't successful. So the so to answer your question, the dog knows when to stop when he gets tired of, of, of being unsuccessful. There's nothing that you do to get in front of in front of that. When you got a young dog, that's why you take them out. That is why I don't buy pen, you know, pen birds and, and preserve hunts during the season. Because at the end of the day, nature is going to take over. You know, we're not buying machines. We're not buying robots. If you want to do that, you can go to the Apple store. We're buying bird dogs. You know, um, and, and that's kind of what it, what it is. So 
I'm glad I got you, um, Miss Mel. So after he knocked that cubby of 15, um, I ended up, you know, singing to him and we swung on through the rest of the course. Um, what ended up happening, and this was that day that we found about six cubbies. What ended up happening was it, shortly thereafter, we hunted a little bit more. He ended up coming up on one of the singles. At the, at the further end of the strip, I guess it had flown off from that cubby. And this and, and what ended up happening was he he caught it and stopped. You see what I'm saying? I, I now now we now we in the business. What's up, Blair? Now we in the business. So the dog is now stopping and he's hitting scent, even if it's a single. So the smell is not as strong. We don't know what the wind is doing. There's all kind of things going on in that dog's head. But what happened? It's a wild single bird split up from the cubby. That bird didn't hold too long before he got out of the way. Dog quivered just a little bit too much, stepped forward a little bit, bird is gone. I watched the whole thing happen. My gun is still unloaded. My uh, electronic collar is still hanging at my belt loop. There's nothing happening. I'm not talking to him. I'm not doing anything. You know, how many times are you going to be unsuccessful before you you decide to change up the game plan. Throughout the day, we would encounter various cubbies and, and you know, up leading up to a total of about six. And they were different, different cubbies. Um, some smaller, some larger. And each time was a different experience. So after he knocked that single, we ended up finding another cubby. Dog locks up tight. I mean, that joker there wouldn't move. Now we got a we we got a question about flagging. Some people have opinions about flagging and stuff. I'm looking at my dog, so it's not the Bible, but I've learned that my dog flagging is 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 showing one of two things, or two of two things. It could be a combination. The dog ain't sure of what exactly is going on, where he's smelling it, or the bird is running. So what ended up happening was he locked up. He knew not to move, but he's lightweight, like lightly, lightly, lightly flagging. Now we got a point. So I walk in and I end up kicking around, kicking around, kicking around. Of course, Cubby gets up. Now we got ourselves in there. Now the dog is is sure exactly of what he smelled, and that was the 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 uh, that was the goal. You know, at the end of the day, I missed all my shots that day, so we ain't gonna even talk about that. Um, I was I I put the wrong chokes in my gun or left the wrong chokes in my gun, and all kinds of things. Um, Cubby getting up, I got a little shook. I was a little more enthusiastic about my dog being on point than I was actually killing something, and that's totally fine. Missed every, I mean, I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn that day. But at the end of the day, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing was the fact that that dog knew to stop. I didn't have to touch him. I didn't have to woe him. I didn't have to do anything. Now, what I ended up figuring out, though, the dog will start to creep. Okay, well, these things, these are the things that are the mental processes that are going on, you know, in my head. 
All right, well, I don't want a creeping dog. Why is the dog creeping? Well, I'm walking too close to him. That's building him up and that's making him want to go in. So what I had to do was swing about five to 10 yards out to the left or right of him to stop him from creeping, walk a little bit further on the outside of him and put my hand up. This was, whoa, put my hand up all five fingers out and that kept him in place. So Blair is, is flagging more of a confidence thing. Absolutely. Flagging is absolutely for my dog, at least. And I, and I think it could go across the board. Flagging is the dog, not necessarily being sure of what's going on. He knows something's there, but he's trying to put it together. He's thinking it's instinctual what his body is doing, but it's still mechanical in terms of what his mind is doing. That's what it seemed like to me. But I'm also seeing the transition of the dog flagging a little bit to not flagging at all. You know, these birds are acting different. He he it's it's an unfamiliar uh situation. He's in totally new area. Um there's a lot of variables that are just working against that dog. And he's young. You know, I remember being in school as a kid and, and I, you know, I couldn't spell the word Indian. I, the, the word Indian, I-N-D-I-A-N, in like kindergarten or first or second grade, one of them words. And I was taking a test and I was very, very, very good at spelling and things like that. But when it came to that word, I froze up. For some odd reason, I just did not understand how to spell that word. Well, it's the same thing with a dog. You know that you're supposed to do this job, but there are certain things that he kind of freezes up on and not the point kind of freeze up. Like he legitimately is just a little bit nervous. So, and Blair, I'm going to get to that in the second part of this uh, podcast. He says, I'm interested in seeing what would happen if you took Vegas out to the same area to work birds. Flag would be, be an issue. That's where we ended up leaving this weekend, but we'll get there. But, I think that the flagging is an issue of confidence in the beginning. And with my dog, he also flags if the bird is running. When we And I noticed that a number of times the same scenario would happen. The, dog, the birds would be running, 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 running. And before they took off, he was flagging. Now, if they stopped and he knew they stopped, you know, whatever dogs do with scent and it's moving and things like that, he would tighten up again. Now that would happen. Now, also in that same day, um, what I noticed was Vegas started hunting objectives. He started figuring out where the birds were living because I started noticing patterns. You, you, These are the things that you look for in your dog. These animals are smart. He started noticing patterns. He wasn't just running in wide open field no more and he wasn't just running through pines. No, he was running in areas where there were kind of thin pines or what it was a couple of areas. It was kind of thin pines with, you know, medium, you know, medium height brush. It come anywhere in between my stomach and my, my chest. And it was kind of thick. He figured out where the birds were at. He figured out it were areas where they would have an, a, a likely escape path but somewhere where they could hold tight. And he kept hitting those same spots. 
but he was also hunting edges. You know, he, he was hunting edges that were very, very, very likely. I could tell in areas where he was hitting old scent. He started to discern, okay, is this old or is there something there? You know, his head would hit the wind a lot of the times and he'd be, you know, moving his, his nose through the wind, I'd say 80% of the time. And when he got onto the track of a running bird, he did what he was supposed to do. His nose hit the ground and he would track that bird into a point, which leads me to, you know, my my next part of the hunt. So we got to an area where it it kind of opened up. There's a bunch of wire grass everywhere. Not a whole lot of trees, but it looked like somewhere that quail might very well be. The wire grass down here is is it's a likely area. What happens is that dog, this is a totally new part of WMA. That dog goes and locks up on point again. This time he's feeling himself. I can tell by his body language. I actually posted the photo of it um, that day. It's, I think it's the only photo that I really got of him on point because I didn't spend a lot of time doing that. But the dog ends up kind of at a, a low kind of crouch, butts kind of up in the air, tails up. And he's the tip of his tail is kind of waving just a little bit, just a little bit. So I know something's there. And he kind of looked over at the side of me, looked back ahead. It's interesting. So dogs, um, okay, sorry about that. I had a call coming in. But it's it's very interesting. Dogs, um, they communicate with their eyes. They communicate with their eyes. So when it came down to him telling me there was a bird there, now he looked at me, but it was a quick glance back ahead. Like, and I was, I was, I was uh, talking to another listener of the podcast. Pardon me if you if you're listening now, and I, I just cannot remember names and things. But we were having a conversation about um, dogs figuring out how to communicate with people. Well, they know that we don't use our noses; we use our eyes. So the dog. Look, and it was interesting. It made me think about it. The dog looked at me and looked back at the area. He's telling me there's birds there, not only with his tail and things like that, but also, um, you know, also with it with his eyesight. So I changed it up a little bit, and this is not necessarily the best practice in the world, but I wanted to shore up the dog in the in the scenario. My gut told me to do this, and I don't know if it's the ideal thing to do but now we're going from training to hunting now we're trying to figure out how to put a bird in a bag so the game is a little bit different now i need them to i we got to work together as a team he looks at the bird looks back he hasn't moved tip of his tail kind of going side to side and i tap him on the head just to re to allow him to move forward and relocate. And I slowly walk up with him. And as we get closer, I just lightly brush him against the head. As we get closer, he's tensing up even more. Birds haven't flushed yet. So we weren't initially close enough to him where he felt confident. The dog gets there. 
And at a point, his tail pings itself straight up. No more flagging, no more tip, no none of that. I was like, all right. <laughs> and then this was this was all in the course of about 20 to 30 seconds. Dog's tail pings, and he's telling me to step forward now. I step forward. I it might have been five, six feet, no more than ten. Big old covey flushes again. And lo and behold, guess who missed every shot? Now, I nicked a bird. I nicked a bird. I saw feathers fall off. That joker kept flying. Pissed me off, okay? Um, and what I thought, it, what I started to realize is the fact that I was shooting up under birds. But what I liked about that scenario was the fact that the dog and I were now communicating with each other. Now we're going back tens of thousands of years, you know, to, you know, the, the, the earlier people, you know, communicating with their hunting dogs and things like that. There was something very, very, very primitive about that connection and the way that that happened. And this is a young dog, but now he's thinking he's a hunter now. Now those genetics are queuing in and, and we're trying to get birds. And what did he do? Also, the dog, you know, though I miss, he still ended up going off and I let him break on the shot. He goes off and chases an individual bird, which is a good thing. He didn't chase the cubby. He chased the single. Now he's being a predator. That's what I want. So, you know, all of that happened. And I mean, it, we, we weren't hit. I wasn't hitting on nothing, but Vegas ended up um, coming up on something real nice. And as we were walking out of the WMA, um, you know, at the end of the day, we ended up, you know, ended up knocking a, another cover that kind of flew off. I think he kind of knew that my gun was unloaded and I pretty much quit on the day. Um, but now Blair to go to your next part. So we went back to that same WMA this past weekend the exact same spot, the exact same spot. I mean, the same general area. I kind of found a honey hole. So, you know, it, it's just one of those things where I knew that we were going to encounter them because I saw them there last year. Um, we weren't, we weren't, and, and, oh, I'm sorry, let me preface this. I also had Ruger with me as well. So the the, the reason being, I was reluctant to take Ruger with me um, out hunting. I was either going to hunt them separately or Ruger was just going to hang out with me um, and just go just to go. But I had a little bit of a, a, a mental dilemma. The cover's still thick down there. It's still very green and things like that. And I don't let my dog retrieve. I don't let Vegas retrieve at all. I don't want a retrieving pointer for a lot of different reasons, for field trial reasons. Um, and just to make sure that Ruger has his own job. Well, I initially thought it was too early to be trying to do that. Um, and there's a lot of chaos that could go on when you decide to run a young pointer with a lab, with an experienced lab, but a lab, but nonetheless. Um, but I had to weigh the options. I sat there and I was like, well, uh, I can either 
Tate Ruger. And I can have him pick up my birds in the event that I knock something down. Because Lord knows the last week before I wasn't hitting on nothing. Let me switch out the chokes. I moved from a, uh, what was I using? An improved cylinder and a modified last week. And I went from a, a, a skeet to an improved cylinder. That was a combination. So we changed up a lot of things. I brought Ruger out. And lo and behold, I let Vegas go. And we weren't into that hunt. From the time I dropped the tailgate at 1030, somewhere between 11 and 1130, we were locked up on birds again. Vegas was not flagging. So to answer your question, Blair, um, Vegas knew the area and he was sure of his nose. Vegas was standing there looking like a freaking statue, far as I'm concerned. Um, undoubted, un, it was it was no doubt that that there were birds, ex, you know, feet away from where he was at. He wasn't creeping. He was fixated on where he was at. His head was high, tail was high, standing tall, looking pretty. Um, just being a champ, just being a boss, man. And so now I, I was going to roll the dice with this one. Sometimes you got to trust your dogs, man. And this is where it comes. I don't know everything. I tell you, I don't know. These dogs are smarter than we are, but you got to know your dog's ability and know what they're capable of. And I wanted to roll the dice on this one because I didn't want to lose birds. I've lost birds in that WMA before. So what did I do? I ended up going. And instead of sending Ruger in immediately after the flush, what I was intending on doing was going in while Vegas was on point, go in, walk through the area, keep him at woe, you know, with my hand signal, and walk through the area and don't allow my, my my retriever to flush first. That's not how we do that. Um, I and, and the reason being is it's better. A, a Labrador is still a retrieving dog. Their marking abilities are still a whole lot better, in my opinion. At least my dog is. His marking ability is a whole lot better than searching through cover is... 50, 60-something degrees. It's not quite wintertime in Georgia. Should be, but it's not. So if I can knock a bird down and he can watch the fall, that's a lot easier than him putting birds up. So the first goal, the first objective is to walk in there while Vegas is still on point and try to flush them birds, kick them up myself. I knew it was a cubby, so on and so forth. Well, them jokers weren't flushing for whatever I reason. Georgia birds are the funniest, ficklest things in the world. Um, so then as I stood there, still keeping Vegas at, whoa, I then call Ruger in and he ends up within a couple of seconds flushing the birds and they get up. Now, bird gets up. I shoot, pellet hits one of them. I see uh, feathers fall off. This, for some reason, keeps happening to me. But then I turn to my, uh, to my left. Bird flies off to the left, ends up knocking him down, and exactly what I thought was going to happen, that bird fell into brush. And also, I didn't kill him on impact. So the bird hits the ground and tries to hobble a little bit through the brush. I see, I, Vegas takes off after one of the other birds gone one direction. That's fine. No big deal. Um, and so now I end up sending Ruger into the brush where I saw that bird go down. 
He picks it up after a couple of seconds. A bird is still fluttering, fluttering. I mean, that joker there was trying to hold on to life, but it wasn't happening. Good old Grim Reaper was all up through them bushes. So we ended up going, um, and the bird ended up, you know, passing in my hand, matter of fact. So that was good. Now, the rest of the cubby ends up flying 100 yards further down. Well, this is where I'm proud of Vegas. Again, he stayed in the game. A couple minutes later, Vegas is locked up again. And that's that photo I said I, I posted um, on my profile. And I was like, I'm gonna, this is a memorable moment or I'm going to remember this or something like that. That was those minutes later where Vegas ends, ends up pointing a smaller group from that same cubby uh, right along the edge. All right, cool. Now we're back in the game. And this time I decided to turn my GoPro on because if I turned it on the first time, I promise you I was going to miss it. But we end up going and I heal Ruger and Vegas is locked up looking like a champ, even better. Again, he's much more confident. There is no flagging. The dog knows what he's doing. He ain't breaking. He's not creeping. He's not any of that stuff. All of those issues were resolved on wild birds. I didn't have to, I, I still not picked up my electronic collar yet. Other than to check, you know, directions of how far the dog was away from me. So, um, I end up healing Ruger and we approach from the side, from the flank. And I send Ruger in, birds get up. I miss two shots. One of them swings around a bend. Um, and now we back off to the races. I got one bird in the bag. Um, now we off to the races. Vegas goes somewhere else after an individual bird. Again, 10 months old. That Do your thing, Chief. When I call you, I'll come and get you. Ruger and I swing around that bend, though. He knows to stay with me. And Ruger is on my, if I'm thinking about it, my left-hand side. We're hunting a certain area where I thought he was. I sent him into a bush. Bird flushes wild from my right-hand side. Nowhere near Ruger. So he hadn't flushed it. I catch the movement, knock the bird down um, after the second shot. I reloaded, knocked the bird down on the second shot, sent Ruger back in, and he goes into, um, you know, he goes into the brush and retrieves the bird, brings it back to hand. It, it was a... It was an okay retrieve. It was a good retrieve because it came back to me to hand, but he kind of fumbled around with it for a second. And the bird was fluttering around, and I don't necessarily think it was him being defiant. I just think he was just trying to get a grip of the bird because it was fluttering around a little bit. He brings it back to my hand, and we're good to go. At that point in time, there's a couple of things that I say. Number one is hot outside. This is it. We need to be ending right here. Um, but number two... There's two birds out the same out of one cubby. Um, one third of the way through my 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 own limit for the season. I only like to I only gave myself a quota of a limit of six birds for the season. You gotta really, really, really enjoy what we have down here, man. Um, and not shoot up cubbies. And don't keep going. Um but 
the redemptive part about this whole hunt was the fact that I did go back to the same spot at the same WMA um, and and regained my shooting dignity. Uh, but that wasn't the most important thing. What I also saw as a redemptive aspect of it was the fact that Vegas was cleaned up. He learned how to be a, how to better be a wild bird dog. That's not going to happen on pen raised birds. I'm sorry. And it's not going to happen that quickly. It may happen. It just, in my opinion, it's not going to happen that quick, you know? Um, but then the doubt part is I, in an ideal situation, and by ideal is the cover was, you know, dead enough and it's cold enough to where the leaves may have been falling uh, it wasn't as green as it was, and I could see birds if I was to not be on my hands and knees in the bush. I could probably see birds and pick them up and recover them because, again, I don't let Vegas retreat. But I had to think about it. Okay, what's work? You know, do I trust my dogs enough to be able to bring these birds back? Yes. So in an ideal situation, Vegas is 10 months old. I really did not want to put those two together. It is like a thing for people to hunt flushers and retrievers together. Um, you'll see some guys doing it and it works. It definitely works. I'm not saying it doesn't work. People do it and do it perfectly. People do it down here on plant in, in, in plantation country down here. I am just... Not really a fan of it, and I've had some, you know, very important people to me, mentors, um, Neil, kind of like, uh, maybe we don't want to do that. But it's it's one of those things that you have to go with the hunt. I guess that's the best way to say it. Like, go with your gut and, and know your dog. I know that Ruger at three years old is good enough and obedient enough to sit there and, and go when I cast him. And I trust, <laughs> and, and, and this is where you get your respect with your bird dogs now, I trust that Vegas is going to do everything in the world that we've been training for up to this point. It all came together. But if it goes wrong, I'm telling you, all kinds of chaos can happen when you send it in a dog after another dog's point. You get dog fights, you get all kinds of things like that. Um, I think it, it helped that they lived together. It's just, and maybe it was just more perfect than, maybe it was, it was, it was more perfect than what I thought it was going to be, but Again, to cover dog coming, do what you got to do. There is no rule book. You kind of got to adjust to the hunt. Um, Mel, is there? Is it completely hopeless to learn on pin-raised birds? That's all I have here in Indy. No, it is not completely hopeless. I'm biased. <laughs> I'm biased because it's tradition down here, but also... Um, I've seen what pen raised birds look like. I, I've seen what pen raised bird dogs look like versus um, wild bird dogs. 
you got to think about the people that I look up to and the people that I'm around. I'm around plantation guys that are running their dogs on wild birds, but there are pen raised birds that they practice on. I just think, though, if you're going to have a non-mechanical bird dog, Ryan Mulcahy says this all the time, and I didn't understand it at first, but now I get it. A non-manufactured bird dog, whatever you got to do, either put the miles in, you know, from gas and on foot, go to where there are wild birds. It's a lot of energy, but once you find them, cherish those spots and don't kill them all either. Um, it's not hopeless, but the dogs look different. They just look totally different. Um, JP McMore, you plan on hunting Vegas on point and using Ruger to flush and retrieve? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I did it this time and did once. Um, do I plan on continuing to do it? Maybe when Vegas gets older. I'll do it more frequently. I don't want to say never because I was clearly wrong about their ability to hunt together this go around, but I'm not going to consistently do that until they're older. Um, right now, I just want to isolate the jobs. I would rather pick up retrieve for Vegas than put him there and me trying to train a broke dog. You know, eventually I want Vegas to be broke all the way through shot and kill and still standing there looking tall and pretty. Um, I don't want any kind of interruptions with that. Um, so if Vegas looks like how I want to look and it doesn't become an issue, then I'll continue doing it every so often. Um, right now it's okay because I'm still, I'm in that, that weird area where I'm still letting Vegas break on the shot. Um, but I still don't want the temptation. It just, it just really depends on their development. You know, today I'm kind of iffy on it. You know, this past weekend I was totally wrong about their ability and they work perfectly in a year's time from now, I could be doing more harm than good. So it just really depends on what the dog is. Um, we know you're biased. I'm just going to have you done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm quite biased. Um, there's a thing, and I, I, it's not a knock on how people train dogs. I'm not one of those guys. I'll talk a lot of trash, mostly about short hairs. Y'all know that. Um, but, and, and it's because all of my good friends have them. So, yeah. But, Like I said, the folks that I'm learning from, I don't see them using, you know, launchers. I don't see them using a lot of pen raised birds because um, the problem is a pen raised bird is going to let you creep on it and a dog will sit there. And, like, I can't even run Ruger on pen raised anything. Ruger's quick enough that he'll just snatch it off the ground because I let him do that as a as a as a pup and I still let him do it. It doesn't really bother me. Um, if you a bird stupid enough to sit there, well, then that's on you. Um, with Vegas, if you want style, if you want everything that, you know, a pointing dog is known for, especially a pointer, 
Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where nature has got to put all of that in there. You know, they just have to. I mean, I've gotten to the point with some pen birds that I've literally kicked one and it still didn't flush. So how do you, you know, like, how do you get around that scenario? But I'm also the type of person, like, for pheasant, I'm not going to run Vegas on pheasants either. Because they run too much. They unhinge a dog. I need a dog that's going to flush and I need a cubby dog. My personal opinion. Uh, Y'all know true A-game comes from Britney's, right? <laughs> so, Plody is going to enjoy that comment. Britney's are good dogs. Britney's are very, very, very good dogs. Um, they're not pointers. <laughs> they are not pointers. They're nice to look at, though, you know. We'll see you, Britney, in the dust. It's fine. When you get that dust off, you know, that, that pointer dust off of you and, 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 and go dust yourself off, go take a bath, we can have a conversation. But, you know, Britney's are nice dogs, though. <laughs> I mean, Delmar Smith had Britney's. So, at the end of the day, they can't be half bad. I'm just saying. Um, they're versatile. I, you know, let's... The versatile conversation, that's cool, too. I'm versatile. I buy more dogs. That is how I'm versatile, okay? I don't <laughs> I don't really care how versatile any dog is. I'm one of them people, and I like talking about it. My retriever retrieves squirrels and fur and rabbits, uh, birds, whatever it is, ducks, whatever. And my pointer points, quail. Versatile as I need. <laughs> this is really it. I um, I'm. I don't know if it's because I'm lazy, or actually I do know what it is. I'm. I just like tradition, man. I just like tradition. Blair's a good dude. He just, you know, he just got a Britney. That's all. When when you ready to drive a Ferrari, man, you come holler at me. That's all. You, you know, you you. I, I I get it, you know. We can we can all make a, a Volkswagen drive fast. It's cool, but you know, when you ready to drive a Ferrari, come holler at me. Drive a Porsche, something a little 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 nice. <laughs> so, um, you know, we got the Porsche plant here in Hapeville too. So, y'all are welcome to come to Atlanta. And when you get yourself a, a a Porsche, then you know you get you a pointer too. Broncos are good. I actually want a Bronco. Um, Mel, I, I actually really, I would like a, like a revamped Bronco. They're actually really slick trucks. So, um, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm very excited about everything that, uh, everything that I've seen out of both of my dogs. And that's also to say, I did not do any kind of retriever work for Ruger this summer. Y'all probably noticed this. I didn't do any work, work with him. The reason being because Ruger is where I want him to be at. So I would do little touch-ups and stuff. Um, and so he held in and that, and that comes down to trusting the dog. Um, my American Brittany will show up your pointer any day. Um, no, we're going to end there. Um, <laughs> 
This is funny. Uh, those Ferraris cost a college kid a fortune. Well, you know, that's why they got student loans. Uh, with Atlanta traffic, Ferrari can't go over 35 miles per hour. That's fine. There's still plenty of people that drive them here. I don't know why. It doesn't make sense to me either. But we have them. It's fine. Get a Porsche. Get a Ferrari. My point is, get a pointer. I have to be extremely biased on here. Y'all, y'all, y'all not gonna gang up on me on this on this good old episode, all right? Um, but I'm in, I'm I'm enjoying where this dog is progressing. Um, I'm definitely enjoying where this dog is progressing. What I would like to see, and that's gonna be coming up soon, is him. I'm gonna go back down to train with Neil. And Curtis, and we're gonna do be doing some horseback work. Um, that is on my list of things to do before February. We got a, a horseback trial coming up. Now that's up to Vegas because I'm asking a dog that'll stretch out 250 yards to stretch out 350, 400, you know, maybe even more. It depends on how it goes. So this will be a new experience. Um, I'm not 100% sure of it. That's what I'm asking. But is Vegas for Mr. Carter's lines? No, Vegas is not. Um, I am actively waiting on a dog from uh, Neil's line. Um, whenever that's going to be. It, I have no idea. But I'm waiting on one from him. Vegas is from Pine Hill Kennels um, in Adamsville, Tennessee from Gary Surratt. Um, I actually did an episode with him. It's been a minute now, but I like his line. Um, I like where he comes from. He is, uh, hold on. Y'all probably hear me talking about it all the time. He's a descendant of this gentleman here. Good old Snakefoot. Um, he's got that. He's got some strike let me see what all vegas has in him let's go so yes blair that is actually the book i was telling you about snakefoot um makings of a champion um i will answer the apparel question in a second so he's got hooks bounty hunter gimli guardrail strike kiwi um snakefoot McCoy, Magoo, Ecstasy, Explorer. All right. And then on the damn side, Snakefoot, Rocky Boy, Deep K, Guardrail, Strike, Magoo, Jubilee, Phantom, Fibber McGee. Um, yeah, Damascus, Jody, so on and so forth. So those are some of the dogs that he's coming from. So I just want to give a special shout out to Rob Payne, Tyler Ross, and Mike Dusky, all for uh, making this whole hunting thing just very successful for me. Um, in the future and up till this point in the season, they've all given me spots and, and helped me kind of find my way around the woods and things like that to make this uh, season very, very, very successful. And all of those spots are logged into the Onyx Hunt app. So if you guys have not done it, go to the Onyx Hunt app, 
and subscribe using GDN20 for 20% off an Onyx subscription and to support the podcast. Thanks so much. We are kind of getting towards the end of this podcast. Um, Mr. Mr. Mackin, so the apparel, I that ended on November 15th. Um, it was just kind of a pop-up thing. And so that stuff should be getting sent out um, if it's not already been sh- shipped out from the uh, distributor, it should be sent out very, very, very shortly. Um, so if there's any issues, if you ordered it, let me know. I'm periodically going to do those pop-ups. Um, I like it. Um, I don't want to be one of those guys that talks about I have a clothing line. Like, I don't really have a clothing line. I have some items that are available every so often. Um, but I really want to be known a little more for, I guess, the literary stuff, you know, I, I, I kind of want to spend more time doing a little bit more writing on, on dogs and experiences and, and things like that. Um, so like I said, every so often you'll get some clothing items popped up, but you know, I don't want to detract from what I originally set out to do which is to document you know my own pursuits and also document and and report on you know good dog work from from other good folks so of course you fool even though you're a pointer guy yes i'm a pointer guy man like (laughs) thank you for supporting despite my pointerness any update on you going to vet school heard about it on one of the episodes Right now, vet school is a tentative only because I have a child right now. Um, it's some, and I'm trying to figure out exactly what direction I want to go. So, I like education. Um, I want a terminal degree, a PhD. Um, I. I've always been interested in in vet school and and what it takes to, you know, really learn animals. I was terrible in biology, weirdly enough, but it's something I want to do. Um, But also there is another interest that I'm thinking about pursuing and that's history. So I would like to write some information and, and write a book on African-American dog handlers from the days of the plantation up till now. Um, There's no literature on it. And those guys, you know, have really molded a lot of what I believe in as good dog work. And as I've always said before, you know, it, it needs to be something that is written. So much of it is oral. And I think there is a place for that. Um, now I think it's a need for it now. Um, I do fundamentally believe that so many African-Americans have, you know, really influenced the foundation of, of building a bird dog, you know, especially down here. Um, a lot of it by, by the, just the nature of the rigors of living and working on a plantation during those times. Um, and as time moved forward, a lot of it became tradition and oral history. So uh, vet school or 
a PhD in African American history with a focus on uh uh bird dogs. That's that's the the non non technical way of putting it, I guess. Move down south and become a quail god. I'm actually interested, so let's talk about that. Um I got an offer to guide um I got an offer to guide at Bird's Plantation. So on December 7th, I will be down and uh down that way and uh kind of observing. I'm gonna run Ruger on some pheasant just for some retrieves and then walk with the guys. Um, just to kind of get a feel for how they operate and, and see if it's something I really want to get myself into. I'm not going to run Vegas um, as a guide dog. And if I were to ever, it wouldn't be until he was fully broke. But I know they've got a few pointers there and um, they're interested in having me um, guide. So, you know, my, my free time is definitely something I want to uh you know, kind of pick up. And it'd be good to get my hands on some more dogs, you know, some more pointers. Um, and just kind of see how it all works. Um, I'm I'm blessed to have given a lecture last weekend and the folks from Birds Plantation were there and they were listening. I got a lot of opportunities to meet some of the plantation folks and owners down there, Charlie Chapin and some of those folks. Um, They've offered me, not offered me, but they've had conversations and, and we've had a few laughs. Sam and the Baker, you can ride along with me. I would absolutely enjoy that. <laughs> I would absolutely enjoy that. Um, so, with that being said, guys, um, you know, those were some of my thoughts on this most recent excursion of being a bird dog guy. Um, I hope y'all are enjoying the podcast. I am going to try to do a little bit more of this live. Um, still kind of new, you know, um, the episodes, this will be on, uh, this will be posted and edited and things like that. Um, and I'll try to get it up tomorrow or, or the day after. Um, I got a couple more questions. Isn't Farrell Miller? I believe that's the name of the big name in Pointer Talk. Yes, Farrell Miller is the name in Pointer Talk. Um, do you and Project Upland have anything in the works? Oh, man. Dang. Did that did I just smile and give it away? Um, no, we don't have anything in the works. I'm just playing. Um it's a thought. It's a thought, but I'm not going to, I don't want to do a project of my own. It's been a discussion. I will say that. Um, nothing concrete. I don't want to do a project of my own until Vegas is 100% a fully broke bird dog. And I, I can trust him to do a film like that and it be, and it show the right kind of setting for what for what it is that I envision. Um AJ, Chet, Will, um, all of the folks in Project, they love me to death. I love them. And they would give me a lot of freedom uh to be able to do a film like that. So 
I just think it's got to be done right. You know, um, there's a lot of elements that go into it, and I don't want to misrepresent the South. That's the short answer of it. So is there anything in the works? We've talked about it. <laughs> but, you know, I don't I don't. I don't have the type of dog that I want to be on film just yet. He's getting there, though. I'm definitely proud of him, and he's getting there. Um, also, do I have any more updates? 2020, there's going to be a lot of new stuff coming up. Um, it's looking like I'm going to have a lot of really, really, really interesting guests that I've got lined up. Um let me see. Y'all are, y'all are getting me with the questions. You ran Vegas on grouse and woodcock. Any plans on Western birds? Well, that's why I got a bird dog. So my goal is to hit the quail slam. And what that means, I don't know when it'll happen, but I want to get all of the quail species here in, in America. Um, I would love to get on all the grouse species here. Um, So Paul Cook, I owe him, if you listen to his episode, I actually owe him a trip next year. So we really going to start moving north and west. Um, Border to border outfitters. I am trying to link up them and 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 get on some birds out there and get my dog's feet beat up and all kinds of stuff like that in New Mexico, Arizona. And then um I think I need to go see if I can bug Ryan Mulcahy to, you know, see if I can get some some work in, in, in his area and things like that. You know, just hunting with, with people I consider good dog men and friends and all kinds of stuff, hanging out with uh, Plody. I know next year we're supposed to be going up that way as well. Uh, how about interviewing the Purina Cover Dog of the Year? Well, if I interview the Purina Cover Dog of the Year, I'm hoping that it will be Bud Moore's. That's what I'm hoping because he just won. Um, he just got the Derby for the All-American um, Open Shooting Dog Derby. So... I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for Miss Fast Money Molly, and hopefully she will make the Purina Cover Dog of the Year, and then I can interview her. How's that sound? I'm thinking of a meetup in Middle Georgia for Public Land Woodcock. Let's do it. Um, shoot me a DM, Sam, and uh, Woodcock season is actually rolling around very soon. So yeah, man, like let's do it. Let's uh, let's make it happen. So. I appreciate y'all tuning in. This is great. Um, the last live was the whole podcast. Like I said, I will edit this um, and chop it up and, and get all my foolish talk and stuff like that out of it. But um, look forward, for those of you guys that tuned in just a second ago, look forward to it. Um, you know, come, like I said, within the next day or so. Um, I am on Thanksgiving break from school, so I am, I got a little bit more time on my hands if I don't have a baby. Um, August is doing well, you know, she met the dogs and they don't know what it is. They don't know what a screaming baby is, but it's fine. Um, so anyway, guys, thank y'all for tuning in for another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook live.
Um, thank y'all for the questions and inputs and insights. And uh, I'll get more to you soon. All right. Peace out. All right, guys, I just want to say thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Gundog Notebook. This is going to be a thing, the Gundog Notebook Live. Um, and so thank you for tuning into the Instagram feed, to the podcast, while you're listening to it on the work, on the road, going to hunting, and wherever you're at. Uh, thanks to my sponsor, my title sponsor, absolutely, Onyx uh, Hunt. Also, you can do the Sporting Dog, Garmin, uh, Dakota 283 Kennels, Lion Country Supply, um, the folks that support my writing, Project Upland and the Northwoods Collective, uh, Orvis, and, you know, just the good folks that make all of this possible for me. So thank you again, and we'll stay tuned for another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook next week.